Hello and welcome to episode 1046 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Saturday, April 30th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and today is a special guest episode with Michael J. Govier. Michael, how are you? Ah, Paul, it's a beautiful Saturday morning here in the state of Michigan. A little bit cloudy. Uh, Michigan misses you. They want to send their best. I appreciate that. Um, I, I could come back sometime in the in the next few months because of the weather turning, but uh, there's about six months out of the year that I want no part of it due exclusively to the weather. And unfortunately, our uh, our Tigers aren't really inviting right now either because things are are going pretty poorly. So um, garbage defense it, it, is horrible. It the the defense is killing me, and that's the part that's that's really got me messed up because I thought it was going to be improved this year. And that's the part that I'm like, I'm really upset about, um, you know, and I know Javi alone can't make everybody else play good defense, <laughs> but, you know, I figure with his defense improving or, you know, bringing the team up and, you know, I thought the outfield defense would be okay. It's just all over the place. Balls all candy is making errors and not hitting. It's just, uh, it's rough right now. And I just, I don't know what to make of it, Michael, but let's get into some intro stuff before we get too deep into the Tigers and upset ourselves. Uh, let's see. We've got Twitter, MJ Govier. That's G-O-V-I-E-R. You have multiple podcasts, but the baseball podcast is the Enrico Palazzo podcast. How often does that run, Michael? Uh, you know, schedule's been really goofy this year. We've tried to do one to two. I do the Tuesday podcast where it's a half hour of prospects. It's a Power half hour for prospects with Phil Goyette every Tuesday, 5 p.m. And then we do the full main. Yeah, we just did another one. We've been doing that for a while with Phil, and we we keep it simple. It's just a half hour less, a quick prospect update. I mean, we're not prospect one. We're not prospects 365. We admit that freely, but we like to talk about it just for a half hour a week on mm -hmm. Tuesdays. And then the main show runs either on Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on me and my partner, Christopher Deary's schedule. And now it's just called the Palazzo Podcast. We got rid of the long name, the, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball. You know, that's just too long. So now it's just Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. Two L's, two Z's. That's P-A-L-L-A-Z-Z-O Podcast on Twitter. You can follow it there. Keep track of when the uh, uh, when the updates will be out. And uh, that's a great show. So definitely be checking that out. And of course, you do wonderful Twitter videos all the time. We did one at the main event, which, by the way, your main event is going well. We will get into a bit of that. But you also have a weekly article over at Fantrax. And not only that, but you also have Govier's Guys. Why don't you give us some uh, insight onto what Govier's Guys is and where can people get it? Because uh, I'm, I'm really impressed by this, uh, by this idea. I like this a lot. So talk to us about Govier's Guys. Oh, thanks, Paul. I do Govier's Guys on the Palazzo Podcast Patreon, if you so desire, if you think we're worth a couple bucks. It starts at $3, and there's a couple tiers beyond that. But every night, I try to scour the box score, stat cast too, you know, not just the surface stats. I look at CSWs and whiff rates for pitching outings, max velos, try to keep an eye on guys that I like in the performance trends that I'm interested in and that I think you should know about each night. So that's why they are... Govier's guys and I try to do it daily I, I miss a night here or there it's it's a real grind to do it right every night because it you can't just I do about at least one guy for every box score so you're talking you know roughly 15 guys a night and you want to make sure that you're offering you know stuff that's useful and interesting so that it's actionable for your fantasy team so it's a it's a grind but I love doing it if you're interested in that you can check it out on the Patreon which all the stuff starts at the top of our Twitter feed at the Palazzo podcast Excellent. I love that. And, uh, you know, I've been doing 
not not the exact same thing, but with the box score bets that I've been doing, it's like a way to kind of get the thoughts out um, that you have that aren't maybe their own article, right? And so you, yeah. you, got, you got some takes on going through the box scores. I go through the box scores every single day. I figured I might as well start sharing things with people. So uh, yeah. I love that. I mean, it's not an original idea. I mean, everybody looks at box scores and they take notes. So, But it's just uh, my own little way to, you're right, not have a full-on article. That's actually a really good way to put it. It's just a couple of bits. Exactly. So who are a couple guys that you've keyed in on this here that have really, uh, really kept it going that you, that you were maybe in early on? Well, let's see. Uh, I posted last night about, and you know, this will look like uh, victory lapping or whatever you no, want to no, call no, it. No, 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 no. I don't care. I really don't care. Lap. Yeah, I, I don't oh, care. Either, but I'm, I'm asking you to, so you can you can feel this is a safe space for you to uh, victory lap away. Go ahead. <laughs> safe space. Thanks. Uh, well, last night Andre Semenis had a great game, and mm-hmm. the playing time has been up and down. I mean, Cleveland's got a lot of. Suddenly, Cleveland has a fair amount of offensive hitters that are interesting and, like, usable. Obviously, Stephen Kwan's initial breakout here before the injury was of note, but Jimenez has been smacking the ball. Three for four last night, had the home run, four ribbies, and he's slam. been – he just hasn't – yeah, the, the grand slam, the grand salami from Jimenez. And I got excited and went on Twitter and said, you know what, it's just a reminder to me that you don't always have the stats – to support it sometimes, especially with StatCast. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't look good, if it's all blue on a StatCast profile, people will be turned off more often than not. But you have to take in the context of what stage is that player in. I mean, he's only 22, 23 years old. He's still very young, and he's growing right now. So it can get better. And I saw flashes back in 2020 before the trade when he started, came up with the Mets where Andre Semenes mm-hmm. looked like a guy like, oh, this guy could steal bags for sure. And he showed a bit of pop suddenly, which got me excited. So that that's a guy that um, I'm, I'm optimistic about. And last night just kind of really put a cherry on top to end the month. Like, oh, this looks promising. I mean, everybody's going to slide it, and things could go to hell in a heartbeat, but it looks good right now. It, it really does with him. And, you know, if they get any offense going, obviously Jose Ramirez has been excellent. Miller, Owen Miller and Stephen Kwan uh, have been good flashes to start. But I like Josh Naylor. You talk about Jimenez. If Rosario, the other part of that uh, Lindor trade gets going, if they get some offense going, I'm not saying they'd win the division, but they will not be an easy out when you go to the Jake for three. And I'm still calling it the Jake. I know it's progressive field, <laughs> whatever. But, um, you know, because they've got the good pitching. So I like that. And I also like how you say, you know, people will go to the StatCast page. I think we're overly relying on StatCast pages as a community. I love what they've done. Like, it's excellent. Darren Willem is the one who made it, uh, you know, really took it fr- from its infancy to where it is now. I don't believe he works for MLB anymore, but it's amazing. It truly yes. is. But we've become overly relying on it. And if people don't see a, a blood red, uh, you know, StatCast page, they're they're out on a guy. And I'm just like, that's just not. That's just not the only thing to look at. And we're still in that stage where two, three good games completely flips somebody's numbers. I did a tweet about that the other day, highlighting a couple examples in particular with uh, with Max Kepler and even even one a guy who was not necessarily struggling, but like Anthony Rizzo uh, increased like 300 points by hitting four <laughs> homers in two days. Oh, and Willie Adamas. So Adamas and Kepler had been off to slow starts. They turned it in two games. And yep. then Rizzo went from doing just fine to God tier in two, three <laughs> games. And so we're still in that zone. So if you're going to the stat cast or, or looking at some next level stats and you're not seeing what you like and then dismissing a guy, you could miss out because things are still very much in flux. And while it is early, 
we hinted at it earlier. We are both Detroit Tigers fans. They're really struggling. And I wonder where you're kind of at on a few of their guys right now. Let's start with Akio Badu, someone I absolutely loved coming into the year. Yeah. Uh, big, we talked big about it that day at Vegas, yep. dude. We talked about him specifically. And I was, uh, you know, I actually thought that you were going to snipe me when I took him. I was like, because uh, you've been getting me all drafted. And we'll get into some. You, Michael, you killed me. You absolutely killed me. You started early <laughs> with uh, Albies, who I had keyed in on as my number one pick. And I knew he might not get there, but I was like, oh, I think I'm good. And that, obviously, as it gets closer and closer, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I don't know where Michael's going. And then you're like, Ozzy Albies, real quick. And I was like, son of a gun. But anyway, but it was somebody I really liked. And when you didn't steal him from me, I was like, excellent. I got my guy. He's mashing in spring. He's playing at the top of the order. And then the season starts, and he's persona non grata. He can't get in the lineup. And when he does, he's batting ninth. What's going on with Akio Badu? What's your read on this so far? Because I wonder if he's not close to a uh, AAA send down at this point. I really think it is that close, unfortunately. And you look at the daily lineups, he's constantly out of it. You're right. He plays like every third day at best right now. Mm-hmm. It's just because... <laughs> he's just not doing anything with the baseball. And there's other guys around him. Like Eric Haas came out a little bit hot. He, he, I think he slowed down a bit, but he had a couple big hits there the first week or two. And I think those moments were going to be crucial because I talked about Haas being a factor. Even if God, his defense is brutal, which we saw Tuesday night when he threw that ball in the left field. His defense is uh, brutal in, behind the dish, but he's actually not too bad in the outfield, which surprised me. I thought he was worse. In the out, like I didn't think he was very good in the outfield, but I've actually been impressed with Haas as an outfielder more so than That's I true. thought it would be. But like, so Badu's K rate is right where it's been. It's a twenty-eight. You know, that's that's nothing new. Uh, it just looks like the contact he's making is not hard. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh wow. First off, he's not really driving the ball with any authority, and there's really been no big moments. Remember when he came up last year, the big home run he had to start oh, yeah. off and. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. He had the big moments early last year, but the but the skills were bad. He had like a 44% strikeout rate, and Badu had like a 2% walk rate. So I was like, I don't know who this new guy is, but I think he's kind of a fraud. And then from <laughs> May 1st on, he turned his skills to where his, his plate skills were excellent or, or really solid. Like they were great yeah. for a 22-year-old Rule 5 pick, and he was still doing the power and speed. So I was like, if he builds on that, this is a 2020 breakout season, and that's what I really liked him for. And I know he hasn't done well in the limited opportunities, but it's so hard to get in a rhythm when you barely play. And he has 39 plate appearances with a dreadful 19 WRC plus for Badu. And like I said, I think a send down might be coming up and that's really devastating. I got him everywhere and I've already cut him in a 10 team league. I think he's cuttable in 12s. I'm yeah, holding dude. out in 15s, but uh, it, it's, it's getting bleak. And this is one of my big breakout picks that I might have to take an L on a month into the season. But, but yeah, that's see, this is the game though, right? It's still early and you don't want to bail on a guy, but you also don't want to hold on to a guy for too long, which is something mm-hmm. I did last year in some of my other leagues, like Nick Solak, Nick Senzel. The two Nicks really oh. screwed me last year. I held on to them for too long in a couple of leagues and it burned me really badly. So you're right. You got to know when to pull the plug with Badu's 20% hard hit rate. 20% is way below where he's at in his tough. limited duty last year on fan graphs. He's got one barrel in 25 batted ball events. That's. Obviously, small sample, but it doesn't show, like, an authority. And with a max EV of 104 to last year's 111.8 was his max, so he's well below that. So he hasn't – when he's hit the ball hard, he hasn't even been able to come close to his max last year. So lack of opportunity – yeah. 
It just Pardon looks me, like I, lack of opportunity. I, I didn't mean to steam, steamroll you there. Uh, maybe a two-week refresher in AAA where he gets to play every day and Badu starts to get the bat going. Maybe that's all he needs to jumpstart. I'm still rooting hard for the guy. I'm me keeping too. him in 15s, but I'm benching him. Let's talk about two more established veterans, guys that, that I think we can have a little bit more confidence in turning around because of their track record. Let's start with Jonathan Scope. And he's always good for a couple of uh, what I call scopenings, which are those <laughs> two periods every year for like four to six weeks where you can't get him out. You could get peak Pedro and he would go yard off of him. But then there's also a couple of four to six week periods each year where I could strike him out. You know, he, he's that, he's that ultimate hot, cold guy. And I look at scope right now and I see a strongly improved strikeout rate um, and a corresponding swinging strike dip to go with it. So I, I kind of believe in the strikeout gains, but just a 169 BABIP. And I'm like, ah, I think he's actually hitting into some bad luck. I'm not too concerned about scope. Do you have any concerns about Jonathan scope right now? Well, I was never interested in scope in the first place. I never have been. I, and I agree. There's tweets you could pull up last year where I, I don't have the beautiful moniker that you've created with the scope innings. But yeah, he's, it's <laughs> it's scope streak season. I, I got a couple of tweets back yeah. in I was like July, June, July last year. Ride the streak. Ride the lightning while it lasts. And that is not the kind of guy. I mean, I'd ride the lightning. I would, but Metallica style. But I'm not going to do the scope events because he had kind of like Robbie Grossman to me. They, they had like the best versions of their years of what they could offer last year. And I, and I stepped, I stepped back. I looked at it preseason. I had a few arguments about scope with a few people who are pretty well respected in the biz. And they were saying, yo, how can you not like scope? We got to slide them into like this fourth tier here. It's even first base. I'm like, what? No way. Ooh, I, I, I mean, like that. that's, yeah, you, you probably might have jumped in with me on that, but he's never, he's shown decent power, but he's not a 30 home run guy, even though he has what, like, one or two years with 30 home runs. In the end, I don't like scope. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I I was avoiding it no matter what. So I guess right now I'm just lucky because he's not playing well. But at the same time, if you're holding on to him and you believed in him in the first place, there will come May. You know, it's gonna be May. It's it could be, be his May. month. It could be his morning. I, I love that meme with the, with Justin Timberlake. I know it's tired, but I, it makes me laugh every time. I'll, I'll do and, it till the day I die. I don't care what anybody says. Scope will get white hot at some point, but the ups and downs, I, I can I can only imagine having him in a head-to-head league is a nightmare. At least in Roto, you just check back in at the end of the year, and you're probably going to get your <laughs> mid-700. It's OPS. like crypto. Leave it alone yeah, for a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He is crypto, and if you can't handle the ups and downs on Scope, don't get in. But um, he's going to start popping up on 12-team waiver wires, maybe some 15s. But I think a lot of people that draft him know the deal with Scope, so they'll they'll sit tight. What about Jamer Candelario? He was somebody who came in with a bit more hype this year, coming off of what he did last year with a league-leading 42 doubles. And whenever somebody has a big doubles breakout, there's the articles about, well, what if some of those doubles turn into homers type of deal and they tap into more power? He hit 16 homers with the 271. I know there were some projections that were like, well, what if he can hit 25 homers and maybe Jamer Candelario becomes – a scope with a better batting average type situation. He's off to a dreadful start. There's not a whole lot in the underlying numbers, but is it small sample or is there some, something to be worried about with Candelario and maybe um, you start to cut him. Where, where are you at with Candelario right now? Again, he fits in the scope profile for a guy that I just don't know 
how you could expect. It's not like he's 25. I mean, he's going on 29 years old. I, yep. I don't see a big power breakout happening at this point in his career. It's not very typical for a guy of his pedigree who actually was a fairly highly touted prospect with the Cubs. And when we got him for that deal for Justin Wilson, I think it was back Correct. in 2017. Yeah, he. Uh, I was excited. I was like, oh, this will be a nice like batting average bat. But I never, ever considered him to be a power guy. And... This is a guy I don't I don't have anywhere. I have zero shares of Scope. I have zero shares of Candelario. I just wasn't interested. I felt there were better options, especially at third base, which people said third base was, you know, that was one of the big, there's always big narratives in the fantasy baseball industry coming into the offseason and draft season. And mm-hmm. one of them was third base. Oh, it's a nightmare. And But, I, you know, that's just lazy, I think. You start digging around, you're going to find players. And I think people also, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, Paul. I'll say this. People, I latch on sometimes. If I'm busy as hell, and I admit this freely, I'm not proud of it. If I'm really, really busy and like, oh, I got to do a show, sometimes I'll latch on to a narrative just because I didn't have a chance to do enough work. I'm not going to lie. We've all done it. Yep. Yeah. We've all done it. Okay. We've all done it. I've been there too. No no doubt. No doubt. And like with third base, I actually got Candelario in our main event. And it was one of those where I kind of let things go a little bit because I wasn't worried necessarily about third base. And the guy I got dang near 10 rounds later, Gio Urshela, is the guy I've been going to right now as, <laughs> yep. as far as my go-to third baseman. I I never really thought it was going to be a big power breakout. Honestly, I drafted him and I was just hoping for status quo. Give me another upper teens homers with a 270 something average. I figured the runs and ribbies could go up because we, I have a better offense, but I'm not really, I don't have any outsized expectations for Candelario, but I got to be honest. And, you know, I don't want to give away too much because we are direct competitors. But looking at the wire this week, I'm like, there's probably some guys that Candelario could be cut for uh, Mm. based on what's available in our league. So I I think he might start popping up on some 15 teamers. And the bottom line is, if you cut Scope or Candelario in a 12 or 15 teamer, you'll probably want to go back to them at some point. Both of them are going to get hotter than they are right now, which won't be difficult because they're both in the tank. But it'll get better but I'm not sure that you can ride it out just completely and you might have to pick up somebody better and then maybe try to get them back in fab later if you really want to. But uh, my patience is wearing a bit thin, especially as options crop up on the wire. Well, he's also had some historically bad starts in a couple of seasons too. So this is not, it's not new for him. If you look back at 2018, 2019, I think he got off to a really bad start. And they're like, dude, we can't play you anymore because you're just not giving us what we expect from you. That was in 2019. That was really bad. So stay tuned. Uh, if you want to ride it out, be my guest. But I think there's other options available. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, in week three, Fantasy Baseball Confidential, which is your fan tracks article, you mentioned unvaxxed players in Toronto. And uh, the simple fact is, is you can't get into Canada without being vaxxed. And, you know, this is not a, a political statement one way or the other about the vax. It's just a simple fact is you can't play if you don't have it, Tanner Houck. And so, you know, <laughs> he couldn't go with them. I wonder, are you trying to do anything to to possibly combat that? I mean, we don't know who is and who isn't, but we will learn when those i think it's specific for al east teams right because they're going to take multiple trips to toronto when you see that somebody is vaxxed uh, or not vaxxed and then they can't go to toronto are you trying to do anything to prepare for that or you know it just kind of depends on who the player is and you got to ride it out for that week how are you how are you treating the unvaxxed players with toronto i think i'm more concerned about it in head-to-heads or we have playoffs later in the season Mm-hmm. And in that article, I mentioned that Hauk had a couple, the Red Sox back on the road late in the year, which could be for some leagues, the final week, the championship week, the Blue Jays will be hosting the Red Sox. So 
I'm concerned about that if I'm playing in a head-to-head. And for the volume of Roto, you know, there's going to be players who miss starts and these COVID pop-ups that happen out of nowhere. Brian Reynolds goes on the COVID list. And he comes like right off almost like immediately. Two days later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like nonstop. And you have to expect this chaos. So for me, first off, AL East hitters are worth, you know, they're worth their weight in gold. So generally, if I have them, I'm happy to keep them. And if they have to miss a series, it's like somebody, you know, it's it's worst case scenario of an IL trip, and it's not the end of the world. So I'm frankly not that panicked about it. But in head-to-head leagues, I'm a little bit more focused on what the schedule brings, and I'm considering trades in my home league as a head-to-head league, for example. Head-to-head cats, always ride or die. My home league is a Yahoo league, folks. That's right. I'll always ride for Yahoo. That's where I got my start back in the day. But that's where I have my main concern. Otherwise, you know, I'm not really sweating it too much. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, you know, looking at the schedule here, you've got – uh, Pittsburgh, which, you know, Brian Reynolds and uh, Brian Hayes, just a couple guys that are super fantasy relevant. Maybe by the end of the year, they'll have more. Uh, Baltimore gets two series in Toronto. Tampa Bay gets a four-game set September 22nd to 25th. That could be pivotal for fantasy playoffs. And so you're going to learn which of the players are unvaxxed. Now, they could get vaxxed. Uh, True. Uh, oh, no, I misread it. I'm sorry. Those are actually series at their pl- those places. Tampa Bay does have a five-game set because they have a September 13th doubleheader, probably making up for those those first week of games that were lost. Those are dotted across the rest of the schedule. Oh, yeah. So it's actually Tampa Bay gets five. Baltimore only gets three, not six. And then the Yankees and Red Sox each get a series at the very end of the season, September 26th to 28th for the Yankees, uh, September 30th to October 2nd for the Red Sox in Toronto. And you could be without guys for your fantasy playoffs there. So that's a great call on the playoff piece being the biggest issue with Toronto players or with uh, players going into Toronto unvaxxed. Now I'll peel back the curtain a little bit and say that we were uh, scheduled to do this uh, earlier in the week and we each had different conflicts that pushed it to Saturday, which renders this question a little bit uh, irrelevant or at least changes the scope of it a little bit. Uh, (laughs) When I was going to ask you, are you buying back in on Dylan Bundy? I will say though, he was crushed yesterday by the Rays for six runs and six innings, but it only moved his ERA to 295, and he still has uh, he still had seven strikeouts. So not all was lost in that outing, and you're still looking at a pretty strong composite ERA. So I think the question is still relevant, even though he is coming off of his worst uh, start of the season. Are you buying back in on Dylan Bundy with the Twins? Dylan Bundy, I have been a fan for a long time, always hoping for the best. That Same. short... Yeah, short. Who hasn't, right? Who hasn't had a a turn or two with Bundy in the short bozo season of 2020? He looks very special. Yeah, yeah. I usually have an alarm I hit when I say that on my show. So (laughs) I I completely agree, by the way. It is the bozo season. It does not matter. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. continue, but it is the bozo season. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I think we all agree. I I just don't even reference it most times. But in in this case, it was Bundy's like, one of his best sample runs because he threw the slider more. And right now is Max Velo 91.8 last night, which is better than what we saw a few weeks ago. I think mm-hmm. people were worried because he was topping out about 88, which is, you know, that's what pitchers do. They got to ramp up. So that might be slightly promising for the slider. And that slider is still a very dangerous pitch. He didn't, he doesn't throw it enough in last night's start, you know, against the Rays, he threw 15 sliders, got three whiffs on six swings. That's a nice 50% whiff rate, but it's not a lot of swings. Um, I think 
I'm somewhat curious. In 15-team leagues, for sure, I think Bundy has a place. I still see that because the Twins have target field as their home. It's a nice place for pitchers to throw at, and it's still cool. We're still not going to be heating up yet here for a little bit. We're getting into May. It's got to be May, but it's still going to be a little bit cool here. I mean, it was 38 degrees when I played softball the night before last Ooh. at night. So, uh, yeah. Holy smokes. Seriously. That, <laughs> it was, I had a hat is on. wild. <laughs> That yeah, it was cold. Still. Very yeah, cold. I, I don't think I can necessarily handle that right now. Uh, Bundy gets a trip back to Baltimore, his old stomping grounds, next week, and then goes to Houston, or excuse me, get, then hosts Houston the week after that. That trip to Baltimore is a little less dangerous, though, because uh, one of his biggest issues has always been home runs, and, of course, they move that wall back, so the right-handers are going to have a much tougher time hitting homers against Bundy. Would you start him at Baltimore in a 15-teamer next week? I think I, I think I would. Uh, Context based, yeah. I, I mean, you tell me in a vacuum. Yes, I think I would. I think so too. Um, all right, let's move on. Is San Francisco's reputation with starting pitchers enough to get you interested in one-time KC Royal, who we've seen a lot of as Tiger fans, Jacob Junis? Yes. Yep. I'm in. I, again, that's another guy I wrote about in my fantasy baseball confidential on FatTrackshQ.com, where I was talking about the secret sauce. It's not original. It's just a secret sauce. We don't know exactly what it is, although we've had some insights into some of the fascinating uh, training bits and the batting practice efforts with the machines they're using now. They're really... Uh, Farhan Zaidi is just a cutting-edge guy. I, if right? I could pick any... If I could pick a new general manager to start over with, I mean, no offense to who what we got going on now. It's, you know, Al Avila. It's always been what it was. And, but if we could have Farhan Zaidi on our squad running the Tigers, I would be in heaven, man. This guy is... Uh. He's one of those guys that just... He knows how to get the most out of every single detail, and he has a great staff. And they rely on people who are, like, fresh, fresh coaches. You know, like, they've hired uh, Alyssa Nakin and stuff like that. They've taken risk and been head of the game on bringing in new voices. And I really, really think that Jacob Junis is a guy who can benefit from that. There was always some tantalizing appeal with Junis. Uh, you know, his he's not walking guys much early on. That could change again. Very small sample. Although he has got hit pretty hard in limited duty at a 54% hard hit rate early on. But I would trust the Giants implicitly. If you ask me, hey, Jacob Junis is a guy, 15 teamers, let's ride. And if he could continue to get more opportunities, if it's better for him to pitch after an opener, then great. Let him do that. They're going to give him the best environment to maximize his ability. And I trust in the Giants entirely more than any organization in baseball right now. Even the Rays. I echo that entirely, especially because I think the Giants, when they have a guy that they like, they really let him go. The Rays still kind of give you those three, four innings that can be difficult in the fantasy world. And by the way, Junis in a follower's role is much better for fantasy purposes because the win probability goes up. And mm. he was just sent out. Um, I think that's to maybe continue stretching him out. And maybe they might be, speaking of fantasy, uh, us fantasy dweebs, they might be helping us out a little bit by letting him skip the Dodgers because that was what he was slated to face next. And since they sent him out, he has to be down for a little bit. And uh, maybe he comes back against a more favorable team. So I'm not too worried about this uh, uh, send down. If people are cutting Junis, I would pick him up and stash him where you can. If you don't have the spot to stash for a little bit, just to see how long that you know how this goes, maybe don't do it. But if you can, hang on to Junis because I'm with Michael. I entrust Sam. I trust San Francisco implicitly. Dweebs. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we're definitely fantasy dweebs. Can Josiah Gray do enough with his strikeouts to be relevant in anything but the deepest leagues, or are the walks too much? The walks and the homers too much for him. Boy, that's a. 
I was thinking a lot about this one. Again, another guy I wrote about last week in the Confidential. And... It's almost as if I read your articles. But <laughs> no way, dude. No way. Yeah. Uh, I got to. You are a prescient dude. I'll tell you that. I got to say that the thing was going to be the walks. And you mentioned the homers, which is an issue. But I, I was impressed by the strikeout performance he had earlier this week on Tuesday. I was like, wow, okay. Like that, this stuff is so electric, and his strikeout percentage—it's elite. And again, you know, I don't—I'm not going to keep saying small sample for the rest of the show, everyone. It's only April 30th, so know right. that we're—it's all small sample right now. But I think uh, I think it's worth rolling the dice for sure in a 15 team, and I really think he's a borderline 12 team guy right now. I think it's worth the shot if you're willing to take on a little bit. If you have guys that have elite ratios that can keep the rest of your ratios low and you could take on a guy like Gray, then I think it's absolutely worth it. But it would be very roster dependent on having guys like a, a Chris Bassett, right? Who could keep your ratios down. Yep. Yep. Or, or just uh, an ace or two, too. You know, if you went high for oh. pitching and you got a Corbin Burns or something to kind of pad the potential ratio damage that Gray might do, you get those juicy strikeouts and there's just a lot of rich upside. So I, I'm with you there. It depends on team construction, but there's a lot to like with Josiah Gray. And I think he's at least a streamer in 10 teamers, too. So keep an eye out and see where the matchups are going with him. And, you know, when he faces a Miami, jump in there in a 10 team league for Josiah Gray because he is he is electric. I, re I really do think that uh, yep. the Diamondbacks took a series from the Dodgers, which really surprised people because uh, their best player, Cattell Marte, is hitting a cool 143 right now. You pointed out that they are appreciably better than they were last year, and you even scooped Cooper Hummel up at 17 bucks in our main. Can he expand his real role beyond a short side platoon right now, which means he's just playing against lefties, and because there are so few lefties, that's why it's called short side for people that don't know that terminology. But can Cooper Hummel start? He's a switch hitter, so it's not like he is just a righty who can only hit lefties. Can he expand this role beyond the, uh, beyond the short side platoon? Yeah, I may regret that pickup and that $17. It wasn't really that money that was well spent. Ah, that's not uh, a bad price, though. That won't hurt you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, spending $280 on Matt Brash. So, you know, <laughs> or just, 555 on, uh, on Josh <laughs> Lowe. Uh-oh. Oh, now we're throwing main event shade. I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hummel Listen, is a oh, guy. Oh, I, I'm, I'm all for, like, going in. I'm not even trying to hate. By the way, I'm going to have oh, no. Don on the show to talk about him because he did that bid. And, you know, he only has $70 left in our league, and I really want to talk with him. He's an excellent player. So, that, yeah, I know you that's, were being sung That's cheap, bonkers. That's but, bonkers. But, yeah, 70 bucks left for the rest of the season is tough off but uh yeah 17 on hummel even if he's a total flop will not kill you but i know our own alex chamberlain loves him so um yeah give us some thoughts on the d-backs and hummel specifically well with the d-backs yeah i got a few people responded i think one guy said wow you're a moron and i gotta mute you and that was i don't Are get those serious? as much as you I'm, sh I'm sure you've gotten more of these because you've got more followers and you're just more exposed than i am i'm but... also pretty incendiary sometimes like i will <laughs> yes you are yeah, I'm, not, I'm not really afraid to tell somebody like that how dumb they are that's crazy that that, that that's the reaction that you got though because i thought it was a perfectly logical take that they're not a 110 loss team again like they're yeah like hello that's that's like i'm not saying obvious like you you called out something stupid i'm saying like i totally agree with you i can't believe you got that kind of nasty pushback yeah well you know there's a twitter troll for everybody they come True. in all shapes and sizes and for True. all flavors but i will say 
that the walks are the interesting part. And of course, everyone's pointing out that they're not hitting, but the Diamondbacks have been top five in hitters taking walks, getting on base that way. And it has offset some of the absolute putrid starts by Cattell Marte. Also, Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly, you were talking about guys I really targeted. I drafted Kelly heavily. In fact, he was my number one catcher for a few different leagues. And uh, that has not worked out very well so far. It's been a very slow go. But I think what you have with the team that is just, they can't be as bad as they were last year on that note. You know, they had the record losing streak on the road, an all-time nightmare. And there's just no way a team can have, or a division can have two teams that win 100 games again, the Giants and the Dodgers. That's just a rare moment in oh, history yeah. last season. Oh, and yeah. the Rockies are better too. And Bud Black's a good manager. So the, that NL West is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be intense. But as far as Cattell Marte, he's hitting the ball a lot less harder than he has. And mm-hmm. we had Bring a big debate. A more too. Y- yeah, yeah, exactly, Paul. We had a big debate about Cattell Marte. In fact, he's come up three or four times. So it's a good, good idea on your part to be speaking about him because he's on the minds of a lot of fantasy managers. Somebody DM me about him yesterday. And on the Discord, the Plaza Podcast Discord, which is free, go to the Plaza Podcast on Twitter, 2Ls, 2Zs, to find the Discord link. We were having a big debate about trading for Cattell. Is it a buy-low opportunity? And I said, if you're expecting that power from 2019, I do and my partner, Chris Deary, on the Plaza Podcast said this best. He's like, you know what? That's probably not going to happen. So you're looking at a guy who's not this bad, so you probably are in a buy-low opportunity. But if you're looking for the best version of him that we've ever seen, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. He got himself a contract extension in the offseason, so the Diamondbacks like him a lot. But for me, buy-low, but be forewarned. Don't, I don't think Cattell Marte is a, a top player. 80 fantasy asset. I think he's a top 100, 110, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think he's in the top 80. I, I share a lot of those concerns, and I'll tell you that strikeout rate has me the most concerned. I don't think he's going to hit 141 all year. I'm pretty pretty safe in saying that if I could tell Marte, but the strikeout rate jumping from 16 last year and 15% for his career to 24% with a corresponding four-point jump in swinging strike rate to 11%, which is far and away a career high. This is a 7% career swinging strike rate. For Cattell Marte, that has me a little concerned because the one of the first stats to stabilize is your strikeout rate. When when it stabilizes, that doesn't mean that that's who he is going forward. It just means that the sample in question carries some legitimate weight and can be baked into the pie, uh, you know, uh, as a legit ingredient there. So now you take these 86 plate appearances of a 24% strikeout rate and you give it a little bit of credence and say. This is something to look at. And that happens on both positive and negative. If somebody's got their strikeout rate way down, like a Jonathan Scope we mentioned earlier, okay, that's something to kind of uh, put a little green check mark next to. But I think this is a little bit of a red X here for Cattell Marte. I wouldn't cut him in in anything. I don't even think I'd cut him in a 10 right now. I think I'd still try to hold. Yeah. But the clock is ticking. And I think another 10, 12 games of this kind of performance, then I start to cut Cattell Marte in 10s and 12s and definitely bench him in 15s. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, let me add one thing because you did ask about Cooper Hummel and I didn't say anything. Uh, with Hummel, he has 11 walks and 11 strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And it's limited duty, but you in this day and age, seeing a balance sheet like that of zero with your K to walk ratio, that's very exciting. And he has a history of getting on base through the walk throughout his career in the minor leagues with some double-digit walk percentages easily. So this is a guy who knows how to do it, and he's hit leadoff a few times recently yes. for the Diamondbacks. So that, that, That's what I liked about it, too. And uh, I think they can start getting him in more. Uh, the only problem is, is 
because Dalton Varsho, you know, is a dreadful catcher and he is just a true outfielder. <laughs> he doesn't really bounce behind the dish and kind of open an outfield spot every once in a while. So then it comes down to Peralta and Paven Smith, two lefties. And that's why Hummel ends up on that short side platoon. And Seth Beer is really DH only. And because he's playing pretty well to start the season with a 120 WRC plus, there's just no room at the end right now for Hummel. But <laughs> things like that tend to play themselves out. Injuries happen. I'm not rooting for one, but they do happen. And uh, there are some avenues there for, for Hummel. And so I think he's at least a name to keep on your watch list if you haven't picked him up. And I thought it was a nice pickup by you. So we'll keep we'll keep close tabs on Cooper Hummel and we'll see how it goes. Now, this is one that we got to talk about because, oh, this was one of the biggest snipes that you got me on. I mentioned the, uh, the Albies one, right? But I never had a chance at Albies uh, because, you know, he went before I even picked one time. I had my chances at this guy. I got greedy. I thought I could wait uh, one more one more turn there, one more set of rounds, and I did not get my guy Connor Joe, someone I was I was preaching pretty heavily for in the off season. I took Jake Fraley instead because I thought he'd be an everyday player with some power speed out in Cincinnati, and I was like, I'll get Joe on the way back. I should have taken I should have taken Joe right there. He has been excellent for you, Michael. How good can Connor Joe be for Colorado and your wonderful main event team, which we're about to dive into full head, full steam ahead. Mm, man, boy, I'm just looking at the draft board right now mm-hmm. and I see, wow, that's, there's a big difference. Cause I love me some Jake Fraley. I'm right there with you. And I wonder I thought, if you had in a different world, the butterfly effect, if you had taken him, if I'd taken Joe, I wonder how that would have gone. <laughs> yeah. If you would have been the 14th, I would have been the 15th wheel. Who knows? I know that, and I said this to several people after the draft that Connor Joe was my one pick where I actually trusted everybody. I, I wasn't a big fan of Connor Joe, and I thought, well, it doesn't look like uh, my kind of guy necessarily, but everyone's saying that you know he's legit and he's hitting the ball hard and he had a really rock-solid 2021 in limited fashion. So I'm going to trust the public on this one. So Connor Joe was my trust-the-public pick, actually. So wow. I can't even – I'm not going to take full credit for, like, my own research on Connor Joe. It was just sure. a – once in a while in a draft, I'm like, okay, I don't know everything. And I could be wrong, and I will be wrong. So let's trust the public on one pick, and it's the 24th round. So, hey, I'm going to pick Connor Joe. And, boy, I have been so fortunate. I had no idea how impressive. He lead is off. He is the leadoff hitter for the Colorado Rockies, who lead the league in homers or are close to it right now as of this day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so happy. I'm so happy. (laughs) Connor Joe has completely carried over what he did in 63 games last year. Everything looks legit. The power's actually taken a step up. He's got four homers already in 88 plate appearances. He had eight in 211 last year. I really like him. And, you know, there was a little bit of a turn on him first when they got Bryant and then when they got Randall Grichuk. Yeah. And Justin and I even argued about it a little bit. He he was trying to bury him. I said, I don't think so, man. I really think they like this guy. They're going to play him. And I was, I got greedy. I, I thought that because the, the market had turned on him, I was like, that's why I thought I could get him even later. But 24th round is pretty late. I should have just taken a guy I like. I took a different guy I like, so I don't regret it totally, you know, just in, in the moment. Uh, obviously now I do, but in the moment I'm like, okay, I'm still going with someone I believe in. If I had taken somebody I didn't like, like just like a an ADP dropper or something, you know how sometimes we do that just because their ADP fell and that's always a big mistake. I took somebody I believed in. So I can I can sleep at night knowing that, but if I had taken some clown that just was falling four <laughs> rounds past his ADP, I'd feel terrible about it. But 
you are having a ton of success. Let's use that uh, Connor Joe talk as a springboard for your main event. This is your first year in the main event. And oh, this I is year two. I, this is year two. Oh, year two. Pardon me. Pardon me. I've been saying it's your first year. This is year two. For, uh, first yeah. year live is what it was then. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I finished third in my league. Was. I finished in the money last year, third okay, place. Okay, you are a main event stud and a veteran. Pardon <laughs> me here. I've been saying, yes, I've been saying it's stud. your first year. I'm wrong. But yet, listen, you finished third your first year, and you are first in our league with a bullet and 39th overall. Um, I just want to say congratulations so far, or or just well. You try to jinx me here. You try to jinx me. That's what this is. This is a jinx. This is a setup. Not a jinx. Not a setup. Nothing's done yet. I'm just saying things are going well. Listen, it is early, of course, right? Things can turn, and people who are in last can jump to first. People who are in first can jump to last. But it's better to start well than not, right? That I mean, that goes without saying. But like, I think a lot of times we're trying to convince or not convince ourselves, but comfort ourselves a little bit to say, "Don't panic, don't panic," and that is true. But when you start well, that is good. I won my main last year, and I finished in the top 35 overall. And it was with a pretty good start. The first few weeks weren't good, but by the end of April, I was up there. And then from that point forward, I didn't really dip down at any point. So it's always great to start with nice. a lead. So I'm, I'm not trying to jinx you. Um, I mentioned this earlier, <laughs> but we'll start with, you snaked me on Ozzy Albies. Do you feel bad? I do. I feel terrible. I mean, you're a good guy. You seem like a fine All-American, a former Michigander himself, a Tigers fan, too. I mean, we're both That's Tigers right. guys, That's and right. I hate to I hate to burn my own Tigers, pals, but hey, you know, I got to do, do what it. I got to do. And Had you would have do done it. the yeah. same thing, man. You would have done the same thing to me. That is true. And uh, I thought it was a great pick at the time. Like I said, being at 15, I knew that he was no guarantee. I was just kind of hoping that maybe people didn't have the same sort of interest in Albies that I did. Um, and not to, uh, I'm not trying to inflate my ego here or anything, suggesting that you follow everything I do. But did you take him there knowing that like I would have taken him with the next two picks? Or was that not part of your consideration and he was always your number one pick? Yeah, well, the... F- so the night before, I had done the Midnight Madness draft that Mike the Mouth runs in his Bellagio suite. That literally starts at midnight Pacific so awesome, time, which was, way. yeah, it was a great time there. And But the draft, you know, I wish I would have been able to go to bed a little bit earlier, but I guess it didn't affect me because the draft turned out okay for no, me. No, you did a great side. job. <laughs> it still worked out. Um, but yeah, I had actually drafted Ozzy Albies, my first pick. That's a 12-team OC, a little bit smaller, but it was kind of implanted in my mind that I love Albies. I love Albies. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the case maybe a month prior to that. I was much less willing to take him there. And the draft shifted a bit in terms of ADP at the top with the guys, you know, guys like Acuna. I really, I really actually thought about taking Acuna at the 14th pick overall. I'm like, I love this guy. He's an incredible elite top five talent when he's healthy and he's going to be okay. You know, he had two steals right off the bat. in his return. already back, man. He is, he's amazing. That's so great. I love that. Yeah. Oh, why would, I would. I know we're we're worried about losing games played in a roto. You want to try to get as many at bats and plate appearances as possible. I get all that, but you know, Cooney is so elite that I think sometimes we we over. And in fact, I know this is a fact. People overreact to injuries and they freak out a little bit too much. And I think where you can jump in and pounce and take advantage of opportunities is by not being as worried about certain injuries. Now, every injury is not created the same. That's just a little True. side note. But the bottom line is, yeah, I if I. Had, I would have taken Albies at 14 almost every single time because Mookie Betts, who you took, I, I'm sorry, I just was too worried about him. I was more comfortable taking Mike Trout over Mookie Betts if I had to. If Albies was gone at 14, I would have took Trout over Betts. So, yeah, Which that's probably how it would have turned out every way. time. 
I, I labored between those two. Those those were my two considerations there. Once Albies was gone, was to go. Are you worried? Are you worried about bets? Are you panicked here, or are you just like this is no. how it is? He'll be all right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried. And I'll tell you what I'm really happy about is that he has three steals, uh, because a lot of chatter was about the fact that all that bets wouldn't run, and I was kind of betting mm. that if he's healthy, he's going to be fine and kind of get back into that twenty stolen base range. So two homers, three steals. Uh, 250 Babbitt will definitely come up. I'm not too worried about him. And he's part of the best team, you know, best lineup in the league. Not that Trout's on a bad lineup. I will say I was on on Trout as well, and I thought people were kind of overrating his, you know, demise or whatever. Because I, I know he's been yeah. hurt. Like, I'm not denying the simple facts of the game's played oh, really? over the last few years. <laughs> but I still think people were kind of overlooking the fact that he's – a god like he is going in the hall he can go in the hall of fame tomorrow and keep playing he could be the first <laughs> inductee into the hall of fame while still playing like I, I thought people were making a little bit too much out of the whole trout thing like uh, you know kind of kind of the rumors of my demise are greatly overstated or whatever that phrase is that's what was going on with trout there so have you I, seen I that labored, swing that swing is incredible i mean it's unreal and no he doesn't have a steal yet but like if he hits 40 homers who cares if he steals seven and you know, 40 homers with a 320 average, a billion RBIs and a billion runs because that that team is good. Like who ca who cares if he only steals seven? I thought there was so much made, way too much made of the must get first round steals thing because you know people were were slamming Vlad Jr. as a first round pick because he doesn't steal. I'm like, I didn't know that you had to have all your steals in the first round. That seems a little insane to me. So I'm being a little tongue in cheek, <laughs> but it was kind of, it was kind of nuts, but I, I like the Albies, Albies pick a lot, but you got a lot of guys I loved here. And this first one here is a little bit nicked up, unfortunately uh, with Tyler Stevenson, but then you also got Ty France, Garrett Whitlock, Rowdy Telez, the aforementioned Connor Joe. How many of those guys, and you already mentioned that Joe was somebody that you kind of took based off of public hype. How many of these guys were key targets versus guys you landed on as the draft went along as far as Stevenson, France, Whitlock, Telez, and Joe. Stevenson was a lock. I have him on almost every, probably 80% of my teams on NFBC for sure. I remember uh, you I love were very excited when you took him too. I think you were nervously hoping that he would make it. And then when he made it, you you breathed a sigh of relief and kind of celebrated that, that Stevenson pick. And I did... Uh, you know, shake my fist at the air when you took it because I was I was going Cronenworth Stevenson there. You were not getting him with that next pick. I can tell you that a thousand percent. Oh, so you're gonna lot. So you had Grandall earlier yep. a few rounds back, I, and then you were gonna I double like down to with Stevenson. Catcher. Yes, I like to get yeah premium catching. And I was uh, <laughs> Grandall has not been premium, but you know he has premium pedigree. Oh, I, I was gonna go Grandall Stevenson there, and uh, and then you sniped it, and then I waited for my second catcher at that point. I was grateful that he came back that late in late round 11. Uh, Mitch Garver had gone earlier that round. There were several catchers off the board. And, you know, after Stevenson, there was Ruiz who went, and then there was kind of a dry spell. So mm -hmm. uh, I love Stevenson. I love what he can do. There's been worries about his power. Like, can he hit 20, 25 home yeah. runs? I'm like, I don't Crazy. care. If he only has 15 home runs, and he's this guy is, first off, he's even more valuable in OBP leagues because he gets on base, yes. has a great eye, and he's very patient. Uh, but... If he hits 280, 270 as a catcher, that's a win for me. And I I just think he's growing, too. It kind of goes back to the Jimenez focus, where I'm looking at guys who are growing in the context of their career. Who they are now doesn't mean 
that's going to be them tomorrow. And they might even yeah. be worse first, but they're going to grow. I, Stevenson's pedigree is elite, too. That's another thing. And sometimes that really does matter. Sometimes, yeah, there's totally a Ron agree. Paulus, you know, like there's guys who sure. are overhyped in college football <laughs> what, all the time, what right? A but pull. Ron Paulus, wow. Or Todd Van Poppel, even. Yes, yeah. I mean, those guys, yes. are, <laughs> Remember they didn't work out. I don't know if you collected cards in that era, but we had our Todd Van Poppel cards were going to send us to college, man. We were going to. Yeah, we gonna dude. Are you kidding me? For a full college education. I totally agree <laughs> with you. And another thing you mentioned, the Stevenson in relation to the Jimenez part, but also in, in relation to the part about the stat casting that we said earlier about how people get overly reliant. Hey, man, can you just look at Tyler Stevenson? If you're wondering about his power, he's 6'4", 225. And I'm not saying everyone who's well built goes for power because we've definitely seen guys not. But this was a guy who hit 10 homers last year. It was his first full year in the majors. I just was like, there's 15 homers here at least, if not 20 plus, with the good batting average. So I adore Stevenson, and uh, I thought you made a great pick there. What about France, Whitlock, and Telez? Yeah, Francis, uh, if you've been listening to the Plaza podcast at all, if you're a regular supporter, you've been around for a few years, you know I've been talking about Ty France since 2020. And in fact, I... What am I? We did this bit in 2021. It was insane fantasy takes sung to Cypress Hills, insane in the membrane. <laughs> and, you know, insane fantasy takes. Uh, you know, it's not very clever, but it's funny. I no, will no. tell you your, this. Your songs are so clever and so wonderful. I, people need to see all this. I don't mean to interrupt you, but they're so good. I got to <laughs> give you hype for them. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. I, I love doing them. They're a lot of fun. I will say that Ty France was my batting champ. For 2021, I I was a little premature. He still hit 291. I mean, that's a yeah. fine outing. So that's great. nobody's, yeah, no one's gonna be pissed about that. But yeah, I've always loved his bat, and I just wanted him to get unleashed. And again, I wrote about this in the Confidential this past week about the trade, got him out of San Diego during the Bozo season. Which actually, you know, Jerry Depoto is clearly it was the Angels holding him back because he's crushing it with the Mariners, and he's made so many great moves. And Ty France is one of those. Really, it's not Jared Kelnick. I think Ty France is the real get there because I know I'm not saying Kelnick won't be a great player, but no, no, right now no. it's France season. He's the guy they're relying on in the heart of their order in a really great lineup. So I was on France forever, was never going to even, I mean, I was just hoping that I could still get him. And round 12 was borderline. I was surprised he lasted that long, but I found mm -hmm. out, like I tweeted the other day on Twitter, that's where you tweet, that $7.00 was what France went for in one auction that I just poked my head in during the NFBC weekend in Vegas in March. And I was like, oh, $7. Man, that's a steal. That is a right? steal. That is a steal. So I was all in on him. Uh, Whitlock was a guy. Now, I picked Whitlock a lot because I thought he would close. I thought eventually, not right away. Mm -hmm. I thought eventually the Sox would be like, you know what? Matt Barnes walks too many guys. We can't trust him. Uh, Jake Diekman, come on. I, there's just nobody back. Too. Yeah, there's nobody back there that they really could trust to lock it down. And Whitlock got that first save a couple weeks ago where he almost, you know, broke his, tore his knee in half, falling over first base to get an out. Terrible. I panicked there. Yeah, yeah. So, I was watching that live. I was like, no! But he was okay. But he's now since become, it looks like they want him to be a starter for sure. So I'm still happy to have him on my squad, but I was looking at him as a closer. And uh, I'm a little weak on saves. You know, that's another thing too that we'll talk about. But, and then Connor Joe, like we said, that was fun. But Roddy Telez is a guy I also targeted as a power guy later in drafts because the Brewers can hit, and they got a solid lineup. And I was expecting him. I, I thought Keston Hero was truly finished. Uh, he's factored in, affected it a little bit more than I thought he would. But, you know, Roddy Telez is a guy that should still give me 25 home runs this season, even if he does platoon uh, a little bit too much. He doesn't need to, by the way. I know they do it because they've got a couple righties in Brasso and Hero 
who can spell him. But if you look at Telez's career, he hits lefties fine. He does not need the platoon. And I'm with you on Hira being cooked. His spring training did nothing for me because he still struck out 38% of the time. So I, I had I had no love for that. And I'm with you on Whitlock, too. I thought he would close, but I knew that if I took him in leagues and I got him in a few others, I didn't get him in our main, obviously. Um, I was like, whatever role he's in, I think will be successful. This guy's just a good pitcher. Yes. I'll just take whatever he does, and maybe it'll be the closer. So um, That's great well picks there, though. I, I really, really like all those guys there, those were the key snipes that you got me on. And I had opportunities to take them, so I have no one to blame but myself. But I was, I'm glad they're in your hands, your first place hands, because uh, uh, that means that maybe, maybe in some world, those are pretty good guys that, uh, that I was keyed in on. You mentioned your saves and your save situation. It got a little bit better for just $21 when you scooped Daniel Bard before the season started, and he's already notched seven saves. Was that just, hey, I need saves, I'll take anything, even Colorado saves right now? Or did you really key in on Bard as the guy over a Colome or an Estevis uh, in that Rockies bullpen because Bard had the job last year? Well, I liked Bard's story when he came back in 2020 during the Bozo season. It was very lovely. That was one of the highlights of that short Bozo season. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, great story. I love comeback stories like that. Good guy. Uh, he still throws gas, too. This is the thing. He throws very hard still, even though he is 36, 37 now. Uh, so I was like, you know what? Robert Stevenson, is that happening? Uh, maybe. I did draft Stevenson in a couple DCs just in case. But the bottom line is I got to give full credit to Reliever Recon and the work they do over there because they started getting on to Bard a couple weeks before the season started. And I trust Greg Jewett, what they do over there. And yes. I will always give credit to where the information comes from, first and foremost, because it emanates from somewhere. Sometimes I find it. Other times it's given to me on high from places like Reliever Recon, which I think is one of the premier reliever subscriptions you could have their patreon's great i strongly recommend it and bard was their lead so i just said you know what okay i like daniel bard enough and i'm willing to trust what you guys tell me so here we go and i, I was wondering why we assumed that he had no chance at the job you know when they brought in Colme, I, I i understood that like okay he's going to be in contention for the saves but i did find it a little bit weird that that Bard was not getting enough consideration preseason. Now, I didn't go out and draft him in a bunch of spots because I'm terrified of Colorado pitchers. But knowing that you didn't have a ton of saves, you had Trevino and, and you know, maybe Whitlock and maybe Givens, I understand why you're like, hey, let me just see what's going on here. And that has proven to be an excellent $21 buy because not only does he have seven saves, he's not doing the Sean Chacon thing. Daniel Bard is pitching brilliantly. And for those that remember that don't remember Sean Chacon, he had like 25 saves <laughs> with a seven ERA. It was classic. It was it was actually 35 saves with a 711 ERA and a 194 whip. Just truly banana stuff. So anyway, it looks like you might have hit on your second closer there. Trevino isn't closing right now. I don't think he's going to lose his job to COVID, though. When he comes back, he's at least going to get the opportunity to keep that job. But Danny Jimenez has been good in his stead. So we'll see how that plays out. Well, he just went for big money, by the way, in our league. Yes, so. yes he did. So, I mean, you don't have to give everything away. It can be more general here, especially since we're competing. But... Even when you feel like you've got some saves, do you always kind of stay abreast of what's going on with closers and maybe bid on the guys uh, in your leagues? Or once you have your saves, do you kind of peel back as far as fabbing the the next uh, flavor of the week for closers? 
Constantly, constantly, constantly looking at every reliever. I'm not going to lie about that. I need saves. I want to be on top of saves. You could lose saves at any given time, it seems, depending mm-hmm. on... Oh, if you have Josh Hader, you're, you're Jordan yeah, Romano. Yeah, but there's like five guys that you can sleep easy knowing that they're the guy. Everyone else is like up for grabs, it seems. <laughs> yeah, by the way, how do you feel about that real quick? Do you, you know, clearly Hader and Romano have been incredible and probably worth the value right now because they've gotten so sure. many saves already. Do you, do you, uh, cause you did, I looked at your draft board and you weren't one of the guys who went super high until you took Gallegos in round five. Yeah. Well, I know I took Presley in four. Oh, Pre- I, oh you did take Presley. Three wow. actually. I know I paid up because I want, did. I didn't want to be into, into the muck with everything. And now okay. Presley's hurt of course, which stinks. Um, Gallegos people have been trying to be negative on him saying he's not the full guy cause they're going to use him as a fireman. To me, I didn't think that was a viable pushback because who isn't? Like, they were using that as a big negative against him. Like, oh, he's not going to get all the saves because they said they're going to use him in in some fireman role. I'm like, okay, well, that's like every guy besides five. So I don't understand <laughs> why that's such a negative against him. Now, I know his strikeouts haven't been there yet, but he still has a 16% swing strike rate. I love Gagos. I think he's completely fine. If he gets 25 saves, I think he's a top five to seven closer this year because the strikeouts will get there. His ratios will come down. I'm not worried about him in the slightest Presley with the knee. I'm a little bit nervous about, I was obviously banking on him for 30 plus saves. And so now I'm in the saver saves pool every week, trying to figure something out because I don't have anything besides Gallegos right now. And I don't want to fall too far behind. So I'm a little bit nervous, but even when I'm locked and loaded, say I got like a, Hey, I have one draft where I literally went hater class just to get the the cream of the crop. That doesn't mean that I don't look at the closers every week because you just never know. Not that Hayter and Classe will lose their job due to performance, but you never know if someone's going to get hurt too. So I think you always have to stay on top of saves and make sure that you know who the next guys are. But I try to avoid going for the the big dogs, the the Danny Jimenez's who are going to cost you triple digits with your budget. I try to go for the guys who are the next dude up who are like six bucks and then they get the job type of thing. So it'll be interesting. We will be battling for saves you and I, along with the rest of our league for the rest of the year. And we'll see who emerges. Um, I want to move on to Owen Miller. He hit the ground running and you got him for $56, which is a pretty fair price for somebody who was hitting as well as he was. Uh, What's your outlook on Owen Miller the rest of the year for the guardians? Yeah, yeah, I was big on Yu Chang and Owen Miller, so I can't take full credit because Yu Chang, he got hurt, and he, he didn't look great to start, and he may never be the guy I thought he could be, but he had a lot of positional ability, which I'd like to have that vital opportunity so I could slide around when I need to slide around because injuries and COVID will show up out of nowhere, and you need to have that flexibility. But Owen Miller's I'm, a guy I'm that I love. Chang, by the way, if I, if I can interject quickly, I'm with oh, you, you are. Chang. Like, I, I think I think he's got something there. And I, I made a joke about this on the pod a, a month or so ago or whatever. He had nine homers last year. I swear I saw all nine of them, Michael, because I was like, this guy <laughs> had to have had like 15 to 18 homers because I just – I all I remember was Yu Chang homering. So the fact that he only hit nine really stunned me, and I swear I saw all nine of them. So I kind of have a little love for him too. He is on the COVID IL right now, and it has opened the door for Owen Miller among others, and Miller has just not stopped hitting. He's got up to – he's at a 404 average with two homers. So go ahead and continue with your thoughts on Miller there. I just want to interject on Chang. Ah, it feels good to have some Chang love, a little bit of Chang support. You, Chang, we're rooting for you. It's going to be May. Uh, Owen Miller is a guy that I loved in that another trade that the Padres made. That was a Mike Clevenger deal. I keep going back to that Bozo season, but they made a lot of moves. The Padres went all in, tried to win in that goofy year, and it didn't yeah. work out. And of course, we know what happened last year, but... 
Uh, Owen Miller was one of the prizes of that deal, and I just didn't know where Miller would fit in. I liked his bat, and I liked what I saw in the minors, and then in limited opportunities of 2021, but with Ahmed Rosario and Andre Jimenez and obviously Yu Chang, and there's a lot of guys there, so it's like, how can I draft Owen Miller with confidence and know that he's going to play? So I drafted him in a couple of DCs, which is a safer play because it's deep. Yeah. It's a 50-round drafted hold, and I can, you know, if he, he he's a real nice boon in those for me. But Big time. winning him in the main event for 56 bucks, 47 was a runner-up bid, too. So that was like a nice, solid victory strong. for me there because that's tight. Yeah, strong win, yeah that's man. close. That's close. I was uh, channeling Vlad Sedler, the fab whisperer, on that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I got to say, I love him, and I think they like him him a lot and that was one of the key pieces of that trade beyond cal quantrill so uh, they want him to play they got him for a reason he can hit he's not a big power guy so don't expect volume in the power numbers but he can hit for average he can make good contact and he can limit the strikeouts he's he limited them in the minors uh you know his rookie year he struck out 27 percent of the time that's going to happen but he's already reduced that to 20 in the short sample and i like what i'm seeing and if that walk rate stays at double digits too that'll be a nice balance that'll only improve his opportunity to have less streaks and massive ups and downs. Everyone's going to have ups and downs, but if you can limit them mm-hmm. by being able to get on base with walks, that's that's why, to me, people are like, why do you care about walks in Roto when it's average? Well, because they can get on base when they suck, and I need that. Yeah. That's why. They can still score me runs. They can still steal me bags. That does matter. No, I think that's huge, and I that's why I'm obsessed with guys who get on base, too, because can keep them like scoring runs and um, helps them stay in the lineup too. Cause if you're getting on base consistently, you don't have that dreadful sub 300 OBP that's going to get you taken out of the lineup. So Miller, you know, the one thing about him, I, I kind of used some uh, uh, prospect reports on him to drive my interest because our own website here at Fangraphs had him for a 40 hit tool currently, but a 55 future. And so even though he had the big strikeout rates in the minors, there was this hint of like, he can cut that strikeout rate down and be a much better contact guy. Just collect a bunch of base hits and be a dude. And now he's kind of taken over that first base role and really uh, pushed Bobby Bradley into a nothing role. I think Miller is here to stay right now. And uh, at 56 bucks, that might be one of the fines of the year for you. We'll see. I, yeah, it's funny that he got the first base role because he's not a big guy either. Too. No. You classic. He's not. You think you need a big target at first to help out with defense. And I didn't know if that would stick. But now he has he has corner and middle infield eligibility. That's a bonus. That's big time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about your catcher situation. We, we briefly talked about Tyler Stevenson. He's on the concussion IL. And you talked about one of your targets, Carson Kelly, hitting a cool 100. Um, you have four catchers right now because you you rostered a couple other guys, including somebody we're going to get to in just a moment uh, in Zach Collins. Are you considering cutting Kelly outright uh, because you have four catchers on the roster right now? I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't no. blame you. I don't blame you, but you do have four <laughs> catchers. Uh, Agashioka is the other one, by the way. So... This goes back to lessons from Vegas. And there's, you know, I could write a whole book about it. There's a lot of lessons I learned. I've been playing this game for 20 plus years, so I know what I'm doing. But, you know, when you get into the realm of analysis as, uh, you know, you're publicly sharing what you think will happen and your advice is sought out by some, not a lot, you start to question like, wait, am I worthy of it? Uh, 
who am I to say that I know this will happen more than anybody else? And I think that's part of the evolution. I mean, you've been in this game longer, Paul, so but I'm sure there might have been some moments early on where you're like, okay, uh, I don't want to sound too cocky. Or maybe you were just born naturally cocky. And you're like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I love it, and I get that. But at the same time, I was just concerned about carrying too many catchers, but I also mm-hmm. didn't want to have a zero. So... I was asking guys around Vegas after the draft, I'm like, hey, would you carry three catchers? Because one of my last draft picks originally was Francisco Mejia, which was a third catcher. And yes. I w- I'm like, why not have a guy that could be there for me to slide in? I need backups for as many positions as possible. I don't want to take zeros. Why wouldn't I have at least three catchers? And a lot of people are like, oh, no, just you just roster two, and then if something happens, then you pick one up. They're like, well, that I could take a zero for the rest of the week. And that ended up happening with Tyler Stevenson when he got railroaded by Luke Voigt. So... I'm keeping these many catches right now because I want to see how it plays out. And to me, it seems like kind of a fallacy to say, hey, why are you rostering? Rostering these many catchers is a negative for you. I, I'm going to roster the guys that I need to back up to put into a position where I want to get value out of. And a lot of people dismiss catcher entirely, especially two catcher leagues, because they don't think there's enough catchers to go around to mm-hmm. fill the stats up for two catchers in 15-team leagues. But I don't think that's the case. And you got two catchers... You wanted to get early, or you tried to. Sorry about Stevenson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's no shade. I just I, I got, just feel no, bad. I got I, Austin I Nola after that. I, I did feel pretty good. And that's know, great. Yeah. Off that point that you say, I think part of it with the people who are like so strident that oh my god, how could you carry three catchers? That's insane. Um, is that they draft? They usually draft scrub catchers to the degree that they can just cut them if anything happens. So that's that's their thinking. But you. You can't cut Stevenson, obviously, not at even no consideration whatsoever. And you don't want to cut Kelly because of uh, your belief in him. So what does that leave you? You got Stevenson's not playing. You're not going to keep him in for a zero. And you don't want to start Kelly right now. So you got to get a couple other guys. So, like, I get it. I don't roster multiple catchers beyond my two necessarily because I usually try to get upper echelon catchers. But I also don't like taking zeros. And I've learned that. You know, just giving away those extra ancillary runs and ribbies, you know, and occasional homers from catchers that can hurt you. You don't want to take a terrible, terrible catcher who's just, you know, hemorrhaging your batting average, but the zeros that can really sting you and it puts a bigger burden on the rest of your guys for the runs and ribbies to be made up. So you've got Zach Collins and Higashioka in right now with Kelly spotting in here and there and you as you wait for Stevenson. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about Zach Collins because. He's one of my favorite types, which is a non-catching catcher. He does not catch all that often, (laughs) even with Danny Jansen on the IL, because he's very bad at it. So they're letting Alejandro Kirk catch. What kind of staying power does Zach Collins have once Danny Jansen returns? Because then they go back to having three catchers. He has six starts at DH, hinting that Jansen's return might not hurt him. The bat is cooking. Do you feel like Collins is somebody that you're going to be able to keep through the long term? And maybe he's the guy that allows you to let go of Kelly if things don't work out for Kelly. How do you feel about Zach Collins? Well, I love me some Zach Collins, Paul. There's no doubt about that. I drafted him nowhere, of course, but when he got uh, traded, understandably, of, though. Yeah, you know, understandably, like no. no. Draft him, but now, <laughs> once, once the playing time opened up, there was reason to pick him up. Right, and the couple shrewd moves made by Mark Shapiro of, of Blue Jays, getting Bradley Zimmer, which, by the way, uh, we just have to mention this. I mean, Bradley Zimmer, that's Justin's guy. It was also, I didn't mention this much, but it was my guy. He was my most drafted player in the oh. player shares on NFBC. He was my most 
drafted player because he was always available deep, and I liked him as a guy who was a sleeper in Cleveland's outfield. So when he yep. got traded right before opening day there to the Blue Jays, that really bummed me out. And they also traded for Zach Collins, though, right after that. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. He's got a killer bat. That's a great lineup. That's very fascinating. And those are smart moves on Shapiro's part to shore up a team that wants to go to the World Series. Because the guys like this, Zach Collins can crush the ball, and he's got tremendous plate discipline. And he was limited by, you know, signing Grandal. I know he doesn't catch much, but Grandal took a bat away. And then they had all these other guys like Andrew Vaughn. They're trying to slide in at DH and, uh, you know, Abreu and uh, Eloy. And he's never available, but when he was, it's Kevin just Sheets seems kind of cut, cuts yeah, off the DH oh, only. Oh, yeah. Your boy, Gavin Sheets, that's right. Mm-hmm. And he, LaRusa seemed to maybe limit Collins a bit too, or maybe it was the front office that wanted to limit him. Maybe they just didn't feel like he fit in. But the one thing I know that Zach Collins could do in limited doses, there's a few streaks, not scopings, but you know, mini streaks here and there over the last couple of seasons where I saw Collins crush the ball. And I'm like, wow, if that guy could get more playing time and opportunity, I really like him as an asset catcher. So that's why I went hog wild on him. I overspent on him, frankly, I think in the main event to pick him up because I didn't really know where the market was. I spent $48, I think. And the next That's highest bid was 16. I, yeah. I mean, it's not you, terrible. Yeah. Like when you want a guy though, I, I did the same thing with Josh Naylor, uh, 37 to 11, but I didn't, I don't, I don't hate that because I really wanted him. And if I'd lost, say, you know, say if, if I put 24 and someone goes 28, I'd have really been kicking myself because I don't feel bad about the 37. So I think it's one of those things where you put in 48, but if you had gone down to, to 27 and somebody beats you at 30 and you really, really wanted him, you'd really be kicking yourself. So maybe it's just a way of justifying when I overbid, but I don't feel bad about uh, about bids that I win even if I'm $20, $30 ahead, if I really wanted a guy just because I didn't know exactly where the market was going to be. So you did 48 to 16. That's not egregious, though. Do, doing that is not going to cost you. It's when you go, say, you know, $130, and the next highest bid is eight. Those are the ones no. that make you lose sleep. That's fair. And that's an eye-opening point, actually, because I learned last year that I didn't bid aggressively enough, and I regretted not getting... Tyler O'Neill was the huge one. Oh, Tyler O'Neill went in like week two or three fab run in my main event league. And I, he would have been a huge difference maker for areas of need in my offense. And I always remember that. So I've stuck to that to this day. You know what? I'd rather go out swinging and maybe be a little bit shorter on the fab later because my original policy was be cautious, be patient, have money for later in the year when something happens. But, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's the guys right off the bat that you really need and you never know. We can't predict the injuries of the future and the closers of the future who fall apart. It might happen, but sometimes you got to be in the here and now and say, I'm trying to win now and I'll adjust on the fly. No, I completely agree with that because then, you know, if you get the guys, if you got Tyler O'Neill, then you wouldn't necessarily need the money later because he was busy having an amazing season. And then maybe that's the league winner there. So I'm totally with you on that. And Zach Collins could definitely be a bit of a game changer for you at catcher because I know he strikes out a ton and we didn't really talk about that hurting his batting (laughs) average. But at catcher, you don't need him to be that great. Like if he hits for... 18 to 20 homers as a C2 with a 220 average, you'll take that. Like that will play for you as your second catcher. So if he's at 29 uh, real quick last year, like he was at 29% last year in 231 plate appearances. I'll take that. If we can get to that, because the 41 is too high. It's, it's going to go down from there. And by the way, me and Eric cross had a big, not a big argument because we do a tag team league together where we co-manage the team in the the tag team league run by Maddie Wood, Maddie Davis of uh, Mm -hmm. FTN. And we had a big argument about Zach Collins and 
You know, we didn't get Zach Collins in that one because he was against it. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I'll stand down. So I don't always, you know, I go with my guys when I get to do it, but sometimes you got to stand aside. I had to stand aside with my buddy Colin in our uh, main event that we do together uh, on Taylor Ward. He really didn't like Taylor Ward. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I will concede here. But uh, I bring it up. Yeah. We, we've been razzing each other back and forth. And every time Taylor Ward gets an out, which is very rare these days, he's like, I told you that guy sucks tongue in cheek. And I'm like, nah, dude. <laughs> You're gonna live to regret that one. So oh. partnerships are tough, though. You gotta. It's you know, it's like a relationship in real life. You gotta give and take. And uh, I, I'm you not do. gonna like. I don't. I don't uh, actually throw it in his face or anything because I'm gonna get stuff wrong too. It's one of those things where you talk through things and sometimes you land on the wrong idea. But it's okay as long as you're having those combos. So uh, let's finish up here now because I had it wrong that this was your first main and not uh, not your first live main. I will switch it up a little bit because uh, you, you are not brand new to the main. You're just brand new to live mains. But what are your key takeaways from the first month here with your team in first? Uh, has it changed anything about how you're managing or is it still just kind of, hey, don't overly uh, get too connected to the fact that I'm 39th right now and first in my league. Just keep going about your business. Has anything changed? What are your takeaways after this strong first month that you put up in the main? I am very paranoid that it's going to fall apart. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was me last year. I, I lived and died with every plate appearance every inning i'm like this is i'm gonna i'm gonna collapse i'm gonna lose my league i'm gonna finish 500th like i was just waiting for the yeah. bottom to fall out all the while just managing my butt yeah. off hoping that i could keep it going yeah we're gonna go grayer quicker than obama did i mean it's just not <laughs> it's not a good way to live our lives but hey when you're doing well you want you don't want to lose that too it's exciting these just the main event it's as big as it gets man it's i mean so we're talking about seventeen hundred dollar entry fee yeah, it, it's it's it equivalent is. of the World Series of Poker. Like each league is a table, and you're trying to win the the big dog prize. And you're 39th overall out of 700 something people, I think. And that's that's awesome. Even for the first month. Like again, I'm not trying to jinx or anything. I'm not uh, jokes aside. Like that is cool. There's no doubt about that. And that is wonderful that you're doing so well. So um, I definitely think that you're off to a great start and I don't think it's fraudulent either. So many of your, obviously with so many of your players that I like, it'd be weird if I was like, ah, I think this team's <laughs> going to fall apart. But is there anything like, is there anything that you're doing differently or are you just managing the way Michael J. Govier likes to manage his teams? I am. Nothing's changed here. It's, Hey, how can we get better? Who's on the wire? Uh, who's struggling? Who do I need to get rid of? Who do I need to bench? When do I need to pull the plug? It's just like it would be any other day. I'm trying to keep myself, real chill about it and not get too excited. It's very cool to see that, but I all, I don't want to ruin other people's uh, parties. I want to be a party pooper for others. But what I learned last year, you know, in my main event, I finished third, but I, I grinded, man. I, I hit, I grinded so hard to get up to third. I was in like 10th, eighth for most of the season until about August oh, wow. and things real. Yeah. And things really like late July into August, things started to turn for me and I started creeping up and creeping up. And eventually I was in a battle for third. So you're never out of this stuff, especially in these leagues. And that's the big lesson I learned. So that's why I'm grateful for this. But I don't want to... A lot of people have been posting their standings on Twitter. And oh. I don't want to take away from them. But I, I want them to know, in case they don't know, that, hey, 
It's great. If you got something like me, I, I'm in a good spot right now, but you know, things could fall apart and change. And there's players on other people's teams more than your team falling apart that are going to do better. And they're going to pick up some numbers. Like you talked about early in the show with you know Rizzo skyrocketing suddenly after he had his three homer game and Adamas mm-hmm. taking off, things will change quickly, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which means the biggest thing for me is knowing when to cut ties right now. That's my number one focus is who on this roster do I need to pull the plug on? Because, you know, one thing we didn't mention is I took I took two injury risks on. Tatis yes, and Sorry, Sale. Yeah, we didn't even get to those two, and that's a, that's a flaw on my part there. You took Tatis and obviously in the eighth round, and then you got Sale in the 13th round. And getting those two with the fact that you're already in first place, that could set up for a real boon if they come back and pop off the way they can. So yeah, um, I don't want to get too I, excited, but yeah, I'm no, like, oh, I, I know. that's promising. Obviously, that's promising. Obviously there's no world where you're cutting Tatis before he comes back, but is there any, like, is there any world where sale becomes on the chopping block? If, if the news doesn't uh, start to get better there, or have you been able to manage to make sure that like, okay, I have a cut each week that isn't sale or Tatis. How are you managing those two right now? Yeah, and 12-teamers, we had a discussion in the Plaza Discord last week about cutting sale. And 12-teamers, yeah, but he's got to go. I think that's what I said, actually. But in 15-teamers, uh, depending on your roster situation, I don't have a glut of injuries beyond that. I do have Tyler Stevenson, so that is three full-on. And actually, with Trevino being on the COVID list, that's four guys yeah, and that's not doing anything four. on my... That's not great. You're right. That's not great at all. So there's a there's a possibility that Sale will get the plug pulled on him because I'm more concerned about him producing than Tati. So I just I feel like eventually when he does come back, he's going to do what he does. I, I call me crazy. I just feel like he knows how to play this game. And even if he's in pain or a bit or if he struggles a little bit, he'll get it going. He'll steal bags. He'll do something that'll be useful enough to keep him on the roster. So uh, the the pitching is where I really thought I was short. And guys like Jesus Lazardo and Whitlock have helped pick me up. And that's why I have less fear now about cutting sale. Like I can cut him and not worry about, oh, I really need more starting pitching. Always need more starting pitching, most likely. But yeah, I'm thinking a sale could be could be in line for the chopping block if it gets to a point where it doesn't seem like he'll be ready. I can't carry him all season long with this constant hey, you're doing nothing for me, and my bench needs to have players in it. With seven bench spots, you got to have at least, to me, like four or five guys ready to go, and I don't have that right now. That's not good. Agreed. And, you know, things are going well, but you sound like somebody who is not resting on your laurels there to where you're going to get hung up and be like, well, now I look up and I'm in fourth because I don't have anybody playing right now. So that will be interesting. Well, because guys like you, Paul, I mean, you're in it. You're in it, Paul. I got to. Uh, you're coming after me, and this league is loaded with not just loudmouths, oh but people God. who know what they're doing. It really is. So, yeah, like, I look down and I see, um, I see Dave Potts below me in the rankings. Dave Potts is a brilliant player, and I'm like, that's the yes. number one sign that you need that that the season is super early is to see some of these people that are in the lower end. Of the, I'm not talking myself. I'm talking the, the actual studs like Dave Potts, Dalton Del Don, Emmett Ruland. They're bringing up the rear yeah. in our league and they're not going to finish down there. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. One last thing, and this was not on the rundown, but I like this player. I wasn't really targeting him, but when, when he started off this year so well with the three homers, I'm really happy for Brandon Nimmo. Do you think this is the breakout? Can he stay healthy and play over 500 plate appearances for just the second time in his career? And was he a target? What do you think about Brandon Nimmo? And then I'll get you out of here. Another lesson from the draft season from Vegas or from the whole thing. I love, I just kept finding myself drafting a lot of Mets. I'm like, boy, I'm drafting a lot of Mets, but I never 
publicly put it out there like, wow, I love this Mets offense. I, I did, <laughs> but I didn't like coalesce it into an actual uh, discussion point because I was drafting mm -hmm. Mark Canna and Nimmo and Jeff McNeil. I loved all these guys still. I'm like, man, there's a lot of fun guys. And the Mets are killing it. They won oh, their yeah. first five series, first time ever. And oh, wow. a big part of that. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is incredible. And they are doing it because of guys like Brandon Nimmo. He was already even on the COVID list once already. That already happened. That came and went. And it's, I really, really believe that he can stay healthy this year. But there's no, no evidence to support that whatsoever. So True. it's just kind of a wing and a prayer right now because we know he's talented. And OBP leagues, he's even more valuable. A killer oh OBP rate. Yeah. So... I'm just hoping it works out. I mean, I got him late, so it's just a nice boon. Him and Connor Joe have really boosted my outfield because those guys were picks around 300, so they've been real helpful. Yeah, they, they've been absolutely excellent. So even though it, it's, it goes against me because you have him, I am rooting for Nimmo. He's just a fun player, and I just want to see him get another 500-plus plate appearances. And if he does, I think he's going to score 100-something runs because of how strong that offense is. So we'll see how it goes. But once again, this is Michael J. Govier. Uh, thank you so much for all your time. I really appreciate it. MJ Govier on Twitter, Enrique, uh, the Palazzo podcast, the Fantrax Weekly article, Follow him out there. He puts out these wonderful Twitter videos. One of the best people in the entire community. Michael, thank you so much. And uh, I'll talk to you down the line. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, Paul. Take care.